Hi, I'm Ellie Main, an artist and podcast host from London in the UK, and this is Recovery Mode, a podcast about the 12 steps. Each week, I sit down with my friend Emily Sledge, a recovery teacher and sponsor, and we talk about the steps, we tell recovery stories, and we interview some incredible people about their experiences in recovery and beyond. This is a podcast for everyone, because so is recovery. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Mode. I'm your host, Ellie. I have Emily with me. Emily, what's up? Hey, girl. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. She's coming in hot from a hectic uh, five-year-old's birthday. That's it. That's it. How did that go? You know, how can you imagine? <laughs> Ten or so, five, six, four, three-year-olds running around. Sounds like a dream. It's good. <laughs> it was good. And I'm glad it's over. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. <laughs> well, if you hadn't had a chance to go and listen to five part one or five A, as we kind of call them, highly recommend you go and do so. Emily leads me through step five. And we have, we've talked about that being the release step after four, which was a bit of a slog. <laughs> and so if you haven't experienced the release of five, I highly recommend that you go back and do that. And today we have Caitlin Rogers, although actually it's Caitlin Schwartz now, right? Now it was Caitlin oh, Schwartz. I've got and it the wrong way around. Roger. Okay. Well, you know, legally, legally, it's still Schwartz. So really? um, I'm living my life as a fraud uh, on the Internet. I have multiple identities. So you haven't like gone through the rigmarole of bringing every form of identity known to man so you can change your name? No, COVID was enough <laughs> yeah. for this past year. Oh, Who had the time? Golly, it's so true. So true. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Super excited to get to have this conversation with you. For anyone who doesn't know you, could you just give like a really brief whatever you want to say about who you are? and how you got to be here today, essentially. I have no idea how I got to be here. Um, <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> no, uh, my name is Caitlin. I am on staff with a church in Austin and so work in full-time ministry. Part of my job is recovery and also a huge part of my life and my story personally. So I assume that's why I'm here. <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But also just a mess of a human being who is learning how to do life and um, recovery is a big part of that. So let's dive into your story. You can go into as much or as little detail at the various parts as you want to. Um, Just like a little bit about your family and then like maybe just how your family handled things, coping mechanisms. And so how your coping mechanisms developed. And so kind of how all of that led to diving into recovery. Yeah. Uh, My family is super interesting. If you are familiar at all with Myers-Briggs or any kind of personality test, my parents are opposites in every way. (laughs) And so they were just on opposite ends of the spectrum of how they handled things, how they worked through things. So when I was young, my mom actually started to be in recovery herself. And so a lot of that changed over time too. But when I was really little, um, it was a lot of anger and control. Um, so I come from an angry family. Um, (laughs) 
that's how we have dealt with things in the past. And so I didn't even realize as an Enneagram seven, as a super happy kid, um, I didn't realize all of the anger that I was using and, and mm. um, was in my life because right. I don't know, it, it just looked differently than it had looked with my parents. So I didn't even realize that was a thing that I was actually starting to use in my life as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, so what led me to recovery, you know, I've been listening to y'all's podcast and it's so funny to listen along to people tell their story. And it's like, like that moment where it's like, and you think I would have got into recovery. Thing, and I didn't. <laughs> Oh yeah. And it's like, that is my story to a T. (laughs) Except you were like 20, right? Right. Yeah. When you first got in. So not like 30, 40. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Luckily. (laughs) A much more condensed time period. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think high school was pretty rough in the sense that high school is rough for any normal teenager, Mm -hmm. you know, bullying, wanting to fit in Mm -hmm. all of those different aspects. I went to a private Christian school. And so, um, felt a lot of need to prove myself worthy, um, as a Christian, as a human being, (laughs) as a girl, you know, Mm -hmm. I was different than I looked different than all the other girls. And, um, so I felt awkward and just all the normal things Mm -hmm. that teenagers go through. (laughs) Yeah. And then left school or graduated from high school, went to college. And that was really where stuff hit the fan for me. Um, this, these years and years of striving and of trying to earn my worth, earn my value, be something worthy of people's time and affection. All of that wore off. Like I burnt out <laughs> mm-hmm. of it. So I just said, who freaking cares? <laughs> who cares about any of this? I don't. Um, this is exhausting. And so very quickly got into alcohol abuse and not at the normal college level, like every day, all day intoxicated, skipping class, and then ended up just kind of going down this spiral of different bad choices and different traumas. So ended up in an abusive relationship, um, which led me then to substance abuse with cocaine. And that became very quickly my everyday, constantly taking a bump, uh, wherever I went in public, crazy <laughs> person, but it was a college town. So I was like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> probably true. No, they probably cared. <laughs> then I ended up leaving my family. So I was still kind of living at home. My parents told me we can't support you if you're going to be doing this. Mm. Um, that all kind of came to a head when I came home for my brother's birthday party, really high and clearly not well. And they told me we can't, like, we can't do this with you anymore. Mm. And so I said, F you guys, <laughs> I don't need you. And I had a friend come pick me up because they took my parents, kept my car. Uh, oh. And I went on my merry way. I lived with my drug dealer for a little while, couch hopped. Also at that time, after I got out of that relationship, went from warm body to warm body, mm-hmm. needing a place to stay and needing somebody to make me feel better yeah. about my circumstances. So I am sitting on the floor in the dorm room of whoever was letting me stay with them. And I, I get 
this sense that I need to go home. And so I text my mom who, you know, I am a Christ follower. I believe in God and I believe that God has a sense of humor. So (laughs) my mom was the recovery pastor (laughs) at my church. And so I text my mom um, and say, Hey mom, I I don't deserve to come home. I know that, but will you let me come home? Mm. And she did. She came and picked me up. What was the time gap between leaving and coming back? Probably two months. Okay. So Um, two months of nomading, couch hopping, doing what you need to do to survive. Yeah. No job. Just Just kicking it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then I went home and that wasn't when I got help, but I knew I needed to change. I just didn't know how, and I didn't want to do recovery because I just didn't. (laughs) It's what your mom would want. And so you can't do that. It's so close to home. (laughs) Right. 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 Exactly. And so I, I, you know, came into this new relationship with Jesus, but had all these old habits and these different traumas that I was wrestling with. And so I tried to move forward as if everything was okay, but it wasn't. And so all of these things that I had done were still in me, Mm. like weighing on Mm. me. I ended up making more horrible decisions, um, having an affair with a married man, um, getting into a relationship that was very codependent. And then ultimately in the midst of, you know, moving forward, moving forward, just pushing through, pushing through, it was too much Mm. for me. And all of that kind of culminated in me just feeling this shame. Uh, There were a lot of decisions that I had made that I said, I'm just never going to tell anybody. This is going to stay with me to the grave Mm -hmm. because it was, you know, too much. And I ended up in a moment of just needing some control, needing some type of control. Um, I tried to take my life and that didn't work. And that was not when I started recovery (laughs) (laughs) still. And, you know, that me trying to take my life was another thing that I added to the list of like that Mm -hmm. one to the grave. I'm never going to tell anybody. And immediately after I knew I shouldn't have done that. That was not the right move. I never want to do that again. Mm -hmm. Thank the Lord that I'm alive, you know, kept going. (laughs) And what got me into recovery, as silly as this sounds, was I had just hung out with my boyfriend at the time and he had done something that had really hurt me. And we were in the street and I was like soap opera yelling at him, like screaming, like I hit the car, like I was like so angry. And then I went home and I was like, this is not the person I want to be. Wow. Like this is not the person I want to be. And so that's what made me start recovery and actually see it through. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd started a couple of times and dropped out after step one, right? Step two. And ever since then, everything's been perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> And now all your problems. I'm a perfect Christian. I'm a perfect person. uh, And it's easy. Yes. 100%. (laughs) Exactly. No, not at all. (laughs) But it's different. Right. (laughs) And so I got the chance to be a part of that group with you and help lead. And I think it's cool to say also that um, your mom, as you know, took me through and then I took Mm -hmm. you through. And so it's it's just ended up being a very cool cool connection. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you're okay with it, would you share a little bit about which step five experience, but also kind of a little bit about your step four going into step five, since they're so closely mm-hmm. connected. How did you feel going into it? Like, what were you 
your fears or your expectations, what happened, you know, in there, what came out of it. Especially as you, you'd you made these promises to yourself, right, that you were never going to tell anyone. And then you're literally presented with the challenge to write all of that stuff down. How did that yeah. feel? Yeah. So Emily actually was the person that I did my step five with. Mm. And so I went in fully confident that I was going to BS my way through <laughs> it on those big things. I was just going to leave them right out and she would never know and I would get the better of her. And um, so you admitted them from your inventory. They weren't in there? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I didn't put them in there. I didn't, pl- I, I fully planned on taking them to my grave, never telling anybody, <laughs> burnt the journal entries so that there would be no evidence. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's like a little asterisk for you on the moral inventory. You're like, yeah, but like not everything. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. I was like, those things were too bad. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted anybody to know. And so I'm doing my inventory and there were a lot of things. I think when you're doing your inventory, or at least in my experience, depending on the season you're in, your inventory is going to look differently and Mm -hmm. you can't always get everything. Right. right? And so each season of healing brings a new level of healing, a new ability to heal at a different level. Mm -hmm. And so I was going after what I would now probably refer to as the low hanging fruit. Like these are the obvious things in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, my substance abuse and my sleeping around and my sexual abuse and all of these things that are obvious, but that I'm able to disconnect responsibility enough to where I don't have to be embarrassed that I did it. But then there were things like the affair and like trying to take my life Mm -hmm. that I couldn't point that to anybody else. And so I didn't want to admit it because it was my decision. And so I went in fully prepared not to tell. I'm sitting there across from Emily and she asks me that stupid question. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to tell me? Because I feel like there's the last 10% that you're not giving me. And I just wanted to punch you in the back (laughs) though. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh crap. She's right through me. (laughs) And so I said... Something along the lines of, I'm going to tell you something, but it's so bad. You won't believe it. And you'll never look at me the same. And I told her and she just was the most calm, like mild mannered, like, thanks for telling me. And then affirmed me. um, (laughs) And I was just undone, like just a ball of tears, just a puddle of like, I was fully confident that I was never going to tell anybody that Mm -hmm. my whole life. And now here's this person seeing me and she's not she's not running away. She's not excommunicating me right. from the church. You know, we've gone from that... my house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you're too bad. Uh, yeah. No, she didn't say any of that. She reminded me that I'm loved and that I have value and thanked me. She thanked me for telling her those things. And so Um, It was a very freeing experience. And then going through the steps again, I'm leading a a step study. Well, I just finished, but um, so I went through it again as well. And in this in this inventory, it was equally as hard because it wasn't those big things anymore. It was like, oh, the things really deep inside, like the roots of those circumstances. And, um, and so, you know, people pleasing and control and criticism and different character defects that maybe weren't as obvious to me, but are equally as hard to tackle. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm. my, yeah, my step five experience. 
Emily's seeing right through me. <laughs> I have two questions. So actually the first one is for Emily. Yeah. Leading that step five, is it a question that you just ask after every step five? Like, is there anything else? Or did you feel a sense that Caitlin was holding something back? Did that feel like a spiritual, like God being like, hey. It is a question that I ask everyone mm-hmm. because most people feel like there's like, well, okay, there's one more thing, yeah. you know? But that one last thing or two that it's like, I just didn't want it to matter, mm-hmm. you know, for me to tell you this. But at the same time, like everybody responds differently emotionally. Mm -hmm. And this, um, some people cry their way all the way through. Just, you know, that was me. Completely, (laughs) completely, completely broken. Kimmy opened the door and I was like, hi. <laughs> ready to be fifth step crying yeah. already yeah oh yeah yes. i was crying in the car yes. on the way like this is gonna be terrible oh <laughs> right yeah so so and they so they don't damn you know they don't damn them up right mm-hmm. you know wall them up and then others and i'm one of them and i think caitlin was one of them where it's like i am gonna have this big old wall between you and me because if like if you're gonna see everything that i did that's fine but you're not gonna see me in front of you mm-hmm. like you're not gonna see me emotionally mm-hmm. and so when i I was going through mine I actually laughed my way through mine <laughs> that I'm makes sense <laughs> I'm not kidding uh, like and yeah the big like emotional four over here I was like oh yeah and then and I said <laughs> and then I said this to my sister and yes I realized that I am a biatch uh, you know just like that's how I like handled it. it was like I'm gonna laugh my way through because I was so uncomfortable um and so I did know that Caitlin had a wall up so I guess part of an, but with asking that question, part of it was the invitation of like, do you also want to let down your wall and let yourself be seen in this moment? Mm-hmm. And then it did. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then the wall did come down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We talked through a few things and, and like, it, you know, it's so interesting how, like how fragile those walls can feel and like pulling one brick, you know, asking one question yeah. and then all of a sudden, because I think it was this realization of like, Oh wait, you, you, you see me and you're okay with what you see. I wish I'd had that moment with, with your mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't think, I know, I don't think I ever let the wall come down during that uh, moment with my step five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like this wall that you're putting up, you think to keep somebody else out. Right. But then once you knock it down, you realize, oh, actually this has been keeping me in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeping me from moving forward. Okay. So then my other question was, you talked about a little bit about growing up in your childhood, that there was a lot of anger in the household and that came out in different ways. Was it in your first time through recovery or through this most recent time that step five or the process of step four and step five revealed those deep anger roots as as a cause or um, a part of why you started getting into substance abuse or did that happen later? No, that was that was round one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was like at that, at that, straight in. <laughs> at that time in my life, anger was very clearly a problem. Mm. I was having uncontrolled emotional responses to the smallest of things and just unleashing in a way that was not natural to me, Mm. um, but was so deeply ingrained in this is the way you respond. Um, This is the way you gain control in a Mm -hmm. situation. I think I surpassed my parents in that, like the Mm. level of anger that I was sharing toward others was more than what I had been on the receiving end of. Mm. 
um, like the student became the master <laughs> kind of thing, but you don't want to be the master of that. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. I mean, you've, you may have heard me talk about in like one of the other or multiple of the other episodes, but like, that's been something that I've been focusing on recent months. And, and yeah, it's, it feels like anger feels like strength. It feels like in a moment when you feel threatened or shamed or afraid or yeah, my, my, I've told my husband, my, my big triggers are shame, hurt, and fear. And Mm -hmm. like, it feels like putting on this power to like force the situation to feel different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, it took me a long time to realize, like I knew it wasn't healthy, but it took me a a long time to realize that it was like a toxic form of strength because Mm -hmm. not only did it hurt anybody around me, it also hurt me. It was just, it was all around hurtful, but it's, uh, it's very difficult to change those patterns, especially when you've seen those patterns modeled to you Mm -hmm. your entire life. Right. Yeah. It's almost, it's addictive because it's Mm -hmm. like in this moment I'm on top. Um, (laughs) and if my whole life I've been made to feel small or I've made myself to feel small, um, it's a way that I can feel, you know, it's like this counterfeit confidence. Mm. And so I think that's what it was for me was if I'm feeling stupid, Mm. I need to, I need to get angry so that I can feel sure of myself or Mm. I'm feeling insecure. Um, and somebody's not meeting a need of mine. I need to get angry so that I can make them meet my need, whatever Mm. it might be. And it was just every day, all day, every day angry. So that was, yeah, that was addressed in the first round because, um, it needed to be. It was bubbling up yeah. while right yeah. before you got into recovery. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's a higher power, but, it, and you know, we talk about that so much in recovery. And then there are other things like anger that feel like a toxic power mm-hmm. instead of a higher power. And so you have to be willing to like experience that exchange of a power source. What is your relationship with anger now? Yeah. I think for me, it is 100% easier to get angry. So if I'm in a situation with my husband and he's not responding the way that I want him to respond, it's 100% easier for me. And anger is not always an outburst. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes um, in my anger, I'm manipulative. Mm. Sometimes in my anger, I'm deceitful. Mm. Um, It manifests in different ways in my life, but it's easier Mm -hmm. for me to do that than to make myself spot check and say, what's going on inside of me mm-hmm. right now? And is it worth it for me to, mm-hmm. to damage my relationship because I want my way? Mm-hmm. And there's so much as I've come to know Jesus and um, develop a relationship with Jesus, there's so much grace that yeah. is offered. And it's like the more grace I receive, the more grace I want to give. Mm-hmm. And so undoubtedly, I the, the most impactful thing on my anger in the steps has been inviting Jesus into that mm. and that surrender. I mean, I got surrender tattooed on my arm right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every day I need it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, am I willing to surrender this moment and to not try to control it and uh, thinking it through, mm. thinking it all the way through before I lash out. Um, and it's gotten easier. Uh, I think as I've healed from other things, the physical response isn't immediate. Mm. Like my physical, I used to physically feel anger. Um, like in my body and want to punch something or want to hit something near me. I never hit a person. So I got that. I can say that, but (laughs) I hit like pillows and walls and things. And so that's changed.
I grew up being or and into my adult life being af- really afraid of anger because mm-hmm. anger either meant lack of safety in the house or it meant it meant that you were out of control in a way that other people would see and yeah. so I had and still probably have and this maybe I need to I mean I definitely need to go through recovery again we all do but <laughs> I think I still have an unhealthy relationship with anger because even an anger that's useful or even an anger that's like comes up to tell you that a situation isn't okay is something that mm-hmm. I right. am frightened of and so I find mm-hmm. it really hard to discern useful anger or righteous anger from just the violent destructiveness of anger yeah no I think that is so true but anger tells us something right. so there are certainly moments if I see an injustice happening and it makes me angry mm-hmm. that's not bad right mm-hmm. um, and I shouldn't give myself a slap on the wrist but what I do with that anger mm-hmm. is what matters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's where the steps have helped me is as I relate to anger um, what do I do with it mm-hmm. where do I take it and so I think yeah that's absolutely true and and even what you're talking about is kind of what I have to fight against now of how do you relearn those boundaries with anger and not mm-hmm. withdrawing mm-hmm. okay I'm angry so I'm gonna shut you out right and punish you mm-hmm. I'm not so I'm not exploding on you but I'm shutting you out and yeah I'm punishing you're you still all the a form of control to hold someone emotionally hostage right by yeah. being yeah. like you can tell I'm angry I'm not gonna speak to you about it yeah. and I can pass that off as me trying to control my anger and, and look at me aren't I great at doing this yeah it certainly looks better <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> But equally unhealthy if you're not actually processing through, why am I angry? And I think that's, you know, with sobriety or or like substance abuse, there's a pretty obvious thing that you need to do, right? Which is to cut out that substance. But when it's something that is an emotion that comes up for us, be that anger, be that sadness, whatever it is, it's renegotiating boundaries in a different way. Because Mm -hmm. for a lot of people with substance abuse, the only option is to cut it out completely. You can't cut out anger. Yeah. This is part of why we talk about recovery is not just about substance abuse, because these are the tools to be able to renegotiate and, re- and figure out what your boundary with something like anger is, mm-hmm. like how to be able to process that in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The longer I am in recovery and lead recovery, I I see that recovery is so much about changing your relationship with every single aspect of your life. Like, (laughs) yeah, the first parts are obvious, right? Like, you know, small friends, (laughs) the first things are, are obvious. You were talking about the low hanging fruit, Caitlin, but you know, like relationships with people like, okay, yeah, that would make sense. I, you know, shifted my relationship with uh, my marriage or my friends or my family, whatnot. But then like realize, Oh, I, I need to change my relationship with food. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I actually just jumped on the Noom app um, yesterday because, you know, like, yeah, I want to lose like 15, 20 pounds, but like more than like, I'm fine. I'm okay with my body right now, mm-hmm. but, but I want to change my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Like when I am, like I was talking, I'm in counseling as well. Uh, again, I'm a big form of recovery on every level, right? <laughs> yeah. Such a fool. Uh, every level. Let's do it but- all. <laughs> I'm just like, I want all the healing and freedom (laughs) you could give me. All of it. Yeah. You know, like I was telling my counselor today, like I get overwhelmed fairly easily, either by the expectations I have in myself or by the expectations I feel like people have of me. And so I, what do I do with that sense of being really overwhelmed and scared that about the, the how much there's to do and, and, and feeling that scarcity mentality of I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough time, mm-hmm. whatever it is to accomplish all that is expected of me. So I reach for something, you know, and it's and it. Can 
can change, you know, like I can be super disciplined with food for months at a time, but then, okay, well, if I'm not reaching for food or, you know, a cider or whatever it is, then I'm reaching for my social media Mm -hmm, or I'm reaching for my favorite fantasy book. Like I want to escape. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I think that probably was, it was pretty obvious in my first fifth step. (laughs) And then later on, as I was going back through again, um, guys, don't worry. You don't have to go through multiple times. It's just, you you kind of want to, you kind of want to after you do it the first time, because you're like, Ooh, what else can I get again, get healed from and and whatnot. But uh, I realized, you know, other, you know, I mentioned scarce mentality and and victim mentality. And and it's so funny y'all because again, comes back to trusting your higher power. So in my fifth step, the first time I did not have a clue that I had victim mentality, not Mm -hmm. a clue. Uh, My husband might've said it to me and I would, would have been very mad at him. Like bursts, bursts of outrage. Uh, But God showed me a couple of years later and (laughs) I told Caitlin's mom, her name is Jamie. And I was like, "Uh, Jamie, I think God's showing that I have victim in time. She's like, oh yeah, I knew that like a couple of weeks in. I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, how did you know this about me? She's the best like that. I did not know this about myself. And she was like, oh, it was very obvious very early on. And I was going to tell you. And basically God made me not tell you because he said Mm. you were not ready Mm. to deal with it. So again, coming back to you have to have complete trust in your higher power that he will bring healing when you're ready for it. um, And when you're ready to do that work, talking about things that you really hate admitting, it really sucked to admit having victim mentality, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially when I didn't have really any capital T trauma, you know? Mm I always find it very interesting how people around us, even if they don't you know, know us super, super, super well, there are these things about our nature and our personality and the way that we respond to things that is so obvious to others and completely yeah. hidden to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine who, he he's a gay guy, lives in Texas and grew up in a very much in a church background and, and you know, went through a lot of capital T trauma as a result of that and and parents mm-hmm. who aren't super affirming. Of, and we were talking about that and I was like, well, you know, you know you're quite an angry person you have a right to be but you're quite an angry person and it was this for him this bombshell moment of like oh my goodness I'm an angry person I'm angry and I was like oh no yeah yeah sorry (laughs) I didn't mean to spray it on you (laughs) thought it was something that you knew and that was a few months ago and uh it's great every like we 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 see each other all the time and occasionally he'll be like dealing with that anger figuring it out yeah Mm -hmm. but it's a I don't know it's the same thing but when I was I told my friends when I was diagnosed with OCD and they're all like oh yeah that makes sense and I was like what This is supposed to be a little sit down moment where I'm like, guys, I have something to tell you. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, tracks 100%. <laughs> like, oh, mm. great. <laughs> Very cool. Great. Yeah. Can you act surprised? Yeah. Can you at least right. just do yeah. me a service of being like, oh wow. Right. It <laughs> is. That's funny. And that's, and that's why, like, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but you cannot really find healing outside of the context of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there's so much you can experience again in, in therapy. I'm in therapy, you know, and that sort of thing. And even in your like one-on-one time with God, again, like God was the one who told me like, Hey, so you you have some victim mentality going on here. A lot of self-pity, you know, (laughs) uh, scarcity mentality is attached to that thinking you never have enough. And so like I experienced healing in so many contexts, but there's a particular kind of healing that, that only comes from community of people that Mm. see me, that know me well, that see my heart. And they're like, Hey, I see that you have this going on in your life. Can you tell me about that? 
Yeah. You know, that call kind of- us to more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That see the more in us and want that for us. Yeah. Because right. I think there are so many areas of our life that if we're sitting in a place of pride, we don't want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Like for me in my life, me not wanting to acknowledge the things that I had done was prideful because it was me saying I'm better than those things. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I can't acknowledge them because if I acknowledge them, I acknowledge I'm broken mm-hmm. um, and that I've done things that I'm not proud of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have to be better than that. Yeah. Right. I think on some level too, it's an attempt to try and control our reality. Right? Like if I mm-hmm. talk about these or if I admit them even to myself, then that means that they really happen. Yeah. If I can keep the secret and as we said before, take it to my grave, then like what effect does it have? Yeah. I feel like step five, and I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this. I feel like step five is yes, there is definitely this sort of sense of freedom, right? As you as you likely tear-stained, leave the step five <laughs> process. But I also think it's it's a very powerful step because for me, it was the beginning of completely kind of rewiring my thinking about myself in a way of like being able to stand on the mm-hmm. other side of having told someone the, you know, the capital and small t traumas in your life that, that either were a result of your choices or a result of someone else's starts to move you away from this idea of like my power is, is kept in my secrets to my mm. power is kept in my full understanding and acceptance of myself. Mm-hmm. But once you put on those glasses and start to see your life and, and the way that you want to be in that way, it completely changes your relationship with your own past. It completely changes your relationship with how you see yourself and your mistakes in the present day. And it, for me, was really the start of kind of like what you were just saying, like it, it affects everything, right? You start to see that the way that you operate in the world and that the way the world responds to you is just somehow clearer. You experience a freedom mm-hmm. from the lies you've told yourself that will happen if you confess. Mm-hmm. Um, if I tell Emily that I was a part of an affair, then X, Y, Z is going to happen, right? I write the story before it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I make assumptions about the world, about people, about my community, um, based from a place of hurt, yeah. based of the things that I'm doing to myself. Well, I think this about myself because I did those things. So imagine what this person would do if they found out when in reality, that's just not true. And if you're going through recovery with a community that supports you and that is in it with you, they're not going to respond that way. But also if they do respond that way, the steps are giving you the tools to navigate through that. Yeah. And it's needless yeah. to say that if you, um, if you have a step five experience with a sponsor, with someone that's leading your recovery program and you come out of that feeling shamed or feeling like it's only really added to the reasons that you've gone to recovery or to, the, or to your sense of, of, of a negative sense of self, then that is not the right person to be doing your step five with. And that person probably mm. shouldn't be mm-hmm. leading or be a sponsor. You know, that's the main fear is that you're going to feel abandoned or ashamed or that you have no value. And so if you've ever come out of a step five feeling that way, it wasn't done properly. Yeah. You know, because I mean, like when I hear anybody step five, you know, again, you know, like listen to yours, Caitlin, you know, again, there's so much fear attached to people hearing our deepest, darkest secrets because we have so much shame attached to it. Mm. And so we expect people to have a certain response to shameful things. 
But I think that's why this is so important to do this step with someone who has had a powerful fifth step experience themselves. Mm. Because I know when I went through mine, there were, I had two thoughts. Like one, like, man, I'm actually a whole lot more broken than I thought I was, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, which for a goody two-shoes, like that was like my identity is to be a goody ah, two-shoes, yeah. you know? You know, I was, I was raised that way. I knew how to, t- you know, check all my boxes. And so uh, it was the kind of this devastating moment of, like, I, I can't check all my boxes and say, I'm a, I'm a good person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, not when I see all this darkness in my life. And mm-hmm. what I also saw, like, is that especially in part because of her response again, is like, yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that with me. Like, and like, okay. And you're human, yeah, you know? And so it, it was also this switch of like, and we're all a little screwed up and a little broken and have a little bit of darkness in us. And any of us could do any of these shameful things in the, just the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so Ah. it took me down several pegs in my own eyes, uh, which was a good thing because, you know, we were talking about this pride, not wanting people to see you. Um, I'm okay now Mm. with people seeing anything and everything in my life junk wise. I'm like, yep. And here's the the messy, broken pieces. And if, if you're not okay with that, it's because of your own broken piece that says I am not acceptable or you are not acceptable if there are shameful things in your life. And so, you know, really, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because Christians, obviously what's the number one association with Christians judgment. judgment. So (laughs) what I contend is that most Christians don't actually understand the real message with Jesus because his message was like, you know, he he said things like, Hey, you heard it said, don't commit murder. I say, don't even hate your brother. And if you hate him, it's like you commit murder in your heart. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's saying the bar is so high to be good, uh, to be truly good. And like, you just need to accept that you can't get there on your own without a higher power. Right. And so I, th- I just think most Christians, you know, again, we tend to think that, oh, we're, we're pretty good people because we obey all the rules, you know, and we just miss it. We miss the point that, no, we're, we're all bad at it. We're all broken. We all need the help of a higher power. And 99% of the time we're sitting in judgment of ourselves. Yeah. We've decided that we're a certain way or a certain person or whatever it is. You know, we, or we've decided that these things in our past have, um, have a claim on our identity. And mm-hmm. we operate out of that most of the time, which is why mm-hmm. going through something like a step four and step five is out of the ordinary because Mm -hmm. most people are sitting not only in judging other people but in judgment of ourselves right and so i think too it's not just christians Right. right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Because I think too, I think judgment is across the board, mm-hmm. you know, no matter mm-hmm. what you believe, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what faith you follow. Yeah. It's part of how we make sense of a world around us. And it's part of how we make ourselves feel better about our lack of understanding of the world. If mm-hmm. I can't, yeah, if I can't make it make sense, I need to be critical of it in a way that's really negative and hurtful to other people. And I think that as Christ followers, sometimes we get confused, myself included, Mm -hmm. on what our call is. I heard this really great analogy that was really eye-opening for me of in scripture, if you're not familiar with scripture, which I know you two are, but for anybody listening who's like, I don't know anything about the Bible, (laughs) 
Jesus calls us to be a witness to the gospel, which is the good news of his life, death, and resurrection for our for us. Mm-hmm. So this person was saying, when we think about witness, we think about a courtroom. Witnessing is literally just sharing your experience, mm-hmm. sharing your perspective mm-hmm. on your encounter with whatever the crime, mm-hmm. or in this mm-hmm. case, Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And so where we can get caught up is, well, I feel like I need to be the judge mm-hmm. in the courtroom, mm-hmm. or I feel like I need to be the prosecutor in the courtroom, right? Mm-hmm. or I feel like I need to be the jury. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to give the commanding opening speech. Right, <laughs> right. When what we're called to do is witness to how Jesus has impacted our life. And I think that that's so important to remember because then it keeps us out of a place of judgment because we realize the way that I've experienced Jesus is, is as um, somebody who has set me free from Mm -hmm. shame, from carrying shame. And so if that's my experience to Jesus and that's what I'm sharing with other people, then they're not going to experience judgment Mm -hmm. from me. Yeah. And so, and so many particularly kind of Western evangelical um, methods concentrate on focusing on the other person's baggage of like, Mm -hmm. you need to stop doing doing this you need to listen mm-hmm. whereas the witness like you were just saying is just no this is my story this is how this this is what mm-hmm. this has looked like for me rather than right. rather than saying well if you're doing this and this is why you need you're going to go to hell all that stuff that we see written on people's sandwich boards out in the middle of the street is not <laughs> is not being an effective witness because it's shaming it's judging it's blaming yeah. and that's how people take yeah. it i don't know what the uh, success rate of the sandwich board guys is probably not super high right <laughs> but when you hear a story of someone's life's transformed by the message of Jesus or by the gospel or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. We're just being, it's an invitation rather than mm-hmm. a judgment or a um, what's like a declaration of your own worth in any way. It's just saying, this is right. what happened for yeah. me. And I think that's what step five is, is an invitation, mm-hmm. um, is an opportunity. I know as I've led through uh, my first step study, pitching step five, <laughs> steps four and five is uh, never a an easy pitch. And um, telling people, okay, you're about to enter into probably one of the hardest things that you're going to do. It can sound like horrible, Mm -hmm. um, but it's an opportunity to see yourself and be seen as you truly are and to realize that the choices that you've made aren't who you are um, and they're not your identity and that you actually can experience healing in them and you don't have to carry them with you on your back anymore. And so it is that opportunity for for, for freedom and for liberation and for um, to walk in a new way yeah. with new perspective on yourself. Yeah. I love it. As we kind of wrap up this conversation, I mean, you kind of just did, but if you have, if there's any <laughs> uh, extra other advice that you have for someone who's doing step five right now, be that like physical advice or spiritual advice or whatever, what would you say? Don't get caught up in trying to do it right. Mm-hmm. I am a person who wants to do it right and to be the best at everything that I do <laughs> and yeah. to be the most eloquent speaker and to blah, 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 whatever. And you just got to let it go. Yeah. Don't get caught up in, well, do I make it in this format or this format or whatever? Like do just do the dang thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my, I think my biggest piece of advice and hurdle 
hurdle is just do it and do it with your whole heart and do it in a way that you can, but don't get caught up in the logistics and the how to, because then you'll get yourself stuck. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much, Caitlin. This has been freaking awesome. Just so nice to get to chat with you and hear your story. And thank you. Thank you for sharing it. If people wanted to find you on social media slash if you wanted them to be able to find, where might they be able to do that? Don't find me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I am not to be found. No, that's okay. Not everybody wants to be. That's okay. My Instagram is hello, howdy, hey. Cute. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, yeah. Thanks guys for listening to this episode. And gosh, next week marks us halfway through step six. That's wild. There we go. That is wild. Wow. And I'm so excited. We'll be following step six with, I believe, an interview with Kenny Green. That's right. That is going to be very, very cool. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you're in for it. <laughs> Hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Yep. It'll yep, be yep. a lot of dad jokes, but also a, a very, <laughs> a very powerful story. That's That'll it. be in two That's weeks it. time. So yeah. guys, have a lovely week. Please chat with us on social media. Say hey, whatever you want to do. If you could take a screenshot of you of you listening to this podcast and tag us on social media, that just really helps with uh, getting discovered and, and having more people find this as a resource to accompany their recovery journey. And um, have a really great week and do something nice for yourself. Recovery Mode was created by Ellie Main and Emily Sledge. You can contact us by emailing hello at recoverypodcast.com. Recovery Mode is produced, edited and managed by Ellie Main. Follow us at Recovery Mode Podcast on Instagram and check out our website for other episodes, community pages, and information on how you can support this podcast and recovery resources through donation at recoverymodepodcast.com.